They say you should never meet your heroes, but today I get to talk football with mine. The image of Tony Mowbray pumping his fist and driving the players on on, on the pitch back in the 1980s is one that that's, that was made a huge impression on me as a young Borough fan based in Guernsey, um, as he led a team that, that went from the brink of extinction in 1986-87 uh, to uh, the top tier of English football under Bruce Rioch. And uh, that group of players, and, and Mowbray in particular, um, made a huge impression on, on a young uh, nine or ten-year-old at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, he's, he's, he remains a hero of mine to this day. Um, the way he's carried himself as a human being, um, constantly uh, reinforcing you know, his, his value set, um, constantly reinforcing um, the, the influence and the importance of his, his background and the upbringing he was given by his parents and uh, his, uh, the environment around him back in Redka um, has, has stayed with me um, as I've grown through the years and, and I've been delighted to watch him progress as a manager and a coach and a leader in general on the game. I love to listen to him talk football. I know he's, he's, he's incredibly passionate about the game to this day. Still meets up with Gary Pallister, his old centre-half partner at Middlesbrough every Wednesday for a coffee in the arm to, to, to put the world to rights on, on, on a football level. And I think um, the fact that I get the chance to, to talk football with him today um, is something that I'm, I'm incredibly excited about. Uh, I, I think there's an awful lot that we're going to cover in terms of management and coaching and the development of footballers and the way that the game's changed over the course of the last 20, 30 years. Um, and I hope that everyone who watches this enjoys listening to his thoughts on football, but also see what I see in this guy, um, someone who is a beacon for me um, in life, not just in football, the way he goes about his business, dedicated family man, um, very humble guy. And um, yeah, if you can't already tell, um, it's clear that I'm going to have to try and suppress the starstruck kid in me as we talk football on this one, because uh, I never expected I'd get the, get the chance to, to meet Tony Mowbray again. Um, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to this, so I hope you all enjoy it. Hello and welcome to Football 360. It's been some time since I did an episode. And um, I think uh, it's been worth the wait. I'm delighted to welcome Tony Mowbray onto the show. Hi, Tony. Good afternoon. Hi, nice to see you. Uh, Kevin, and, um, well, the weather's really hot over there, and I hope you're uh, you're hanging in. Yeah, that's it. Well, those ginger tops work like bits. I'm moving to Spain, but I've been here five years now, and I'm, I'm hanging in there. Like I say, plenty of fun to fifty. Uh, I've got buckets of the stuff. Good one. Good one. <laughs> so yeah, thanks, thanks for for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm gonna go straight into a warm up on it. Um, so to start off with. Uh, can you tell us your favourite player ever and why? Oh, well, um, I think it's such a difficult question. I think uh, favourite player ever. I grew up, the first ever sort of football, live football match I ever went to was in the early 70s. And my dad um, took me out to primary school in the latest in Redcar and uh, because George Best was coming to Western Park. And, yeah. Uh, I remember him walking in the classroom and just grabbing my hand and taking me out and the teacher's looking at him and anyway we went to watch this because he told me Georgie Best was the best player ever lived and uh, and I watched him at Essen Park in the early 70s and it was during the day because the uh, the miners were on strike there was poor strike and there wouldn't be there's no power for the floodlights to go on at night so that's why I was yeah. at school when Borough were playing on a school day were playing Man United um, so great players like Best. My, my first ever World Cup was 1970 in LA. Um, yeah. So I fall into that category in that generation of people who 
love the great players really. I know I've been through the generations of you know Maradona and the amazing dribble for his goal against England. But Pele, nineteen seventy, um, I'd have to say the, the greatest player, the player that I, I I think about and think, wow, I actually played with. I think was somebody who just brought joy to the game. Was uh, was not one of the all-time greats like a Troy for a Maradona or a Pele. It was Paul Gascoigne who I played with um, and against. I played with him when I was playing, uh, uh, sorry, against him when I played for Bullard against Newcastle and when I played for um, against Tottenham. I played with him when I played for England B internationals. I played three uh, three England B internationals in 1989 and yeah. Gascoigne before the World Cup in 1990 came on the tour. We went to. We went to Switzerland and Iceland and I think Sweden and uh, Gazan was there. Bobby Robson came along and, and watched and managed that team and it was just amazing to be around Gazan to be honest. And, and just seeing the talent in front of your eyes, how brilliant he was and uh, and the personality that he was, he was just amazing. Brilliant. So just because I, I sort of felt his human touch. I would put at the top rather than, you know, the world's greatest players like Maradona, Messi, Croyer, LA. I think Gascoigne, just because I knew him, and, and just knew this, this vulnerable guy who was just genius with the football, that I was on the same pitch with giving him passes. And they get Iceland away. I remember before the warm up, he's chipping the ball 40 yards into the trombone of the band that's in the middle of the pitch. And we're all laughing, and yet. The game starts and he runs 70 yards, dribbles, never passes it, beats everybody on their team, round the goal and scores and you think, wow. And yet a year later he was playing in the Italian night team and, um, and, and, and the world never, never looked back for him. Really. Love it, love it. Brilliant memories of, of Gascoigne from the United World Cup as, as every England fan who can remember that World Cup. And uh, yeah, brilliant story that. And, and I think, you know, where would he be in world football today? Gaza, you know, with the skills and, and the way that he run with the ball, and he, he was strong enough to hold players off as well. Passing range, shooting from it, you know, I mean, what would be worth today? I don't know. Is it, I, I, playing against him, I found his greatest quality was his arms. It's a strange yeah. to say, but he used to hold you off because he wasn't that fast. But you try and tackle him, and you'd get your his right hand right in your mush, and yeah. you know, because he, he was moving, the referee wasn't seeing it as a push or a punch or a pull or anything, he was just arms out everywhere, holding yeah. people off and, and slaloming through the opposition and he was amazing, amazing footballer. Brilliant, brilliant, great memory. Okay, next question, your favourite team ever, so not, not, not the Borough, not, not the team that you support, but the, the 11 players that made an impression on you a moment in time when you watched a team and thought, wow, what football team? Well, again, that's an, it's, it's so many, I think, but, um, you know, I, I think I have to, I think we all who love the game have to talk about Guardiola's Barcelona, I think, uh, you know, they changed the face of football forever, you know, in my mind, and he's still doing it today, it's a day, yeah. you know, every, every aspiring young coach who wants to try and play like Guardiola's teams, you know, with full-backs high or tucked in and wingers either inside or outside and pivots and eights breaking the lines between the wide players and the centre forward. Every, every young manager, coach wants to play like Guardiola because it was inspirational. It was at the time when Sky were running Spanish football and every Sunday night we could watch Barcelona play Tic Taka and 
it was just amazing to see, you know, the great players, how fortunate we were to see the great players. Um, because you talk about great players of all the generations, like I've just mentioned, you know, George Best and Maradona and, and Pelé, and um, and yet here we are. We've all been able to watch Messi and um, and that Barcelona team, you know, of big, I tried I phoned Sir Alex Ferguson in 19, sorry, 2004, 2005, and asked to take Gerard Piquet on loan to Hibernian. I was in a petrol station when he phoned me back and I was embarrassed because I didn't know whether to answer the phone or because I had to put the petrol thing back in and Fergie was chatting away about Gerard Piquet to me. Um, he was going back to Spain on loan and um, he, 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 he was very complimentary that we, we could spot a good player but he was going back to wherever he went back to in Spain on loan and that's just because he was a young kid that um, we just liked his talent and, and when I think of what he achieved and has achieved in his football career watching that Barcelona team with the great players he played with alongside, um, I'd have to say, you know, the Barcelona team of, of from wherever that was, 2008 to 2012 or something like that, it was an amazing team with Iniesta and, uh, and Javi and Busquets, you know, and then Messi of course, but uh, Danny Alves, and it was amazing. I, uh, I, I have to say that's the answer that I give um, and I, I remember, I think I said this on another episode on, on this show before, that I remember my dad ringing me up and he, he, he would watch it every Sunday night and he'd just marvel at it and when I speak to him about football he'd, he'd say, have you seen this team, Ken? Have you, seriously, have you seen the way they play football? He was, he was just, you know, after how many years he'd been watching the game, he just could not believe the quality of that team and, and, and what they were doing. They, they did revolutionise it and it really really did I, I agree with you so many teams are trying to emulate it sometimes in the wrong in my opinion yeah directly as well there's a lot you know a lot of like the best young coaches and young team young, young teams are, you know whatever you know who, who perhaps try with the wrong mix of players or in the wrong situation trying to like that but I, I i i can't agree with you more i mean what a, what an unbelievable team and what an influence that they had on the whole game I think we're very fortunate to be around and, 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 and you know, involved in football in whatever guys and, and to see that talent really and you know a, a generational coach really yeah not quite the for, for us all you know so Alf Ramsey might have been a generational coach when he played without wingers in a World Cup in '66. You know, people have changed football. I don't think Klopp is similar. You know, this huge high-pressing game that until Klopp really first I know Barcelona were doing it then, but it wasn't as as energetic as they had all the ball, it was the counter-pressing, but they would have 80% of the ball, whereas Liverpool at times get the ball away and push in and get it into the other half and then they press and, and that sort of yeah. changed the face of football as well and, and, and it's amazing to be around today and watch the Premier League when Liverpool play Man City and see two, two opposite ways of playing, but not probably the two best teams in the world. Yeah. Yeah, agreed, agreed. It is, it is, not, I wouldn't say polar opposite, it's been the right, but you know, there are times where Liverpool will set traps and they'll, they'll lose possession on purpose yeah. to go, go right, and create a chance. It's a, it's a weird thing, it's completely opposite to Guardiola's possession, 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 but uh, yeah. yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. Okay, um, and, and here's, a, here's a, a, a mythical situation to so you, you've got 22 of the best 22 players in each of the positions in the world playing against each other in the cup final. You're the chairman of one of those two teams. Which manager from history do you pick to get your, get your team on that one day? 90 minutes, 120 minutes, or whatever, of that afternoon, not, not literally going to the dressing room, 
set them up, get them out there and help them with it. Put the right, right team talk together before half time, what have you. Who do you go for? Not someone's going to build something over time, but there and then, how, how do you get a result with, with which one of you? Yeah, again, there's some really interesting questions. And I think there's a, a lot of different answers out there. You know, you, you could look to modern day and think, you know, well, Man City and Liverpool are the best team in yet. Real Madrid just, just won the Champions League. Carlo Ancelotti, is he, is he, he's getting up there as some of them, one of the most uh, decorated managers, finds a way to win out that. Yeah, we all look to Mioni as well and does it totally differently, doesn't he? Again, the opposite. But um, if, if you're talking historically, um, it's, so, so these are the battles for me in my mind. I think, again, you, I, I saw you, you, you talking the other day about, um, you know, I, I do ship with Gary Pallister every Wednesday morning and um, I do talk to him about every, you know, a, a million stories about Fergie. I'd, I'd have to say, from, from just the person I am and where I am and how Fergie sat in as a manager at West Brom in the Premier League and Fergie's sitting there sipping his red wine and, and I'm asking him, as many questions before the game as I could, really, because he comes and relaxes before the game. And you get the feeling you know, in his company that he's so relaxed. He knows he's there. He knows he's going to win. You know, and you, you feel on him almost like an overconfidence. Um, yeah. And yet it's very difficult to not, not to defer to him. And I'm asking him about sports. I live in 2004. How sports science affected? How do you? deal with your sports scientists. How much do you look into data? Are you looking at the running stats? Are you looking at the forward passing stats? Um, I was really interested in talking about control, really. And um, I'd have to say again, because of the human element, the human touch that I've been in the presence of and, and I've worked against for a team out and tried to compete with them, I'd have to say Ferguson. And, and, and maybe it's a, it's a simple answer because I, I need to mention, you know, the, the Ancelotti's and, and Klopp, Guardiola, Simeone, you know, even Sir Alf Ramsey going back because he, he, he changed the face of football and he didn't play like everybody else played. And yeah. I think those managers, you know, if you're talking to Pep now, he would probably say you had Cruyff to you because he, he, you had Cruyff would have been such a massive influence on him. Yeah. Yet I, didn't, I can't feel you had Cruyff. I've read some books and stuff, but um, I can't feel other than this really intelligent, bright, clever player. Um, if I was going to pick a manager with the best team to win a football match, I think Ferguson has he's, he's more human qualities, drive the individual, what's in your stomach, rather than Guardiola's you know, huge intellectual, when do you play your wingers wide and bring your full-backs in, and when do you bring your wide attackers inside and leave your full-backs high and wide, and how do you stop transition with how many players? You know, Pep's a genius and all of that. You know, I think Ferguson on any one off the end could get the 11 players to go to war for him and try yeah. and win football match. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think the other the other name that pops up quite a lot on this question is Mourinho and the one off, but not necessarily sustained something over a period of time like Guardiola. Mm. Great, brilliant answer. Okay, um, last question on the warm up before we get into the real stuff. Um, can you give us uh, a, a fun fact about Tony Mowbray that very few people know? Only those nearest and dearest to you. Oh, um, you know what? I, I, I'm not sure I do fun facts, and yet I am a. a, a um, I, I was thinking about it, and I, and I think the people know that I sing a lot. I don't know, so if you ask any of my secretaries or PAs around their football clubs, 
they still speak to me now from 20 years ago. It's why? Because I try and create an environment in a football club where everybody's relaxed and I, and I try and empower them really. And I do it by not being the gaffer who's always annoyed and angry. And, you know, I, I try and relax the atmosphere. So I sing a lot around training grounds. I'm not, I, I'm not going to give you any notes now. I know there's a temptation in your voice. There can be online, but there's a few songs that I know the words of and I probably sing them badly. But it's, I think they enjoy the fact that the gap is walking through the building singing various songs. And um, I think I'm going to It's not about because I I developed 
as a young kid at school. And I think if you're going to become a, a professional, you generally are the best player at your school and maybe in your town or your district. So I played for Langbar and then I played for Cleveland County. And yeah. um, but when I was at school in that age of seven, eight, nine, ten. I would just get the ball and dribble and beat everybody and score. And our team would win 10 nil and I'd score seven or eight. Yeah. And it was like, I was trying to play like Pelé and like Brazilian Jairzinho and Tostão and Gerson and um, Rivellino. It was like, that's how my mind worked in them days. And then my dad ultimately took me to that game to see George Best. And I, and I was was um, soaked in it really of talent and expressing yourself and, and grew up as a young boy wanting to dribble and beat people really. I got to Murrah at 14 and was thrown to the back really because I was quite a big lad and uh, told I had to start to edit and defend and, um, and, 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 and because of my personality really again brought up in a, in a, in a, in a my father was pretty strict you know a respectful guy I got on with it so forgot the dribbling and started winning tackles and winning headers and playing forward passes and um, and then, you know, life changed for me. I became a self-defender. Um, and maybe that balance of always having that inner flair came out in my early management days when I had some really talented good players, you know, at Hibs in that first job. I had Scott Brown and Kevin Thompson and Derek Murray and Gary O'Connor, Stephen Whitaker. You know, all went on by the play for the old firm or came to England. And um, no. I was fortunate. They were all 17, 18 at the time. And we managed to... You know, we went to Ibrox three times a season, in a season and won, you know, won yeah. three nil away from home. We, we beat Celtic three one. Matt O'Neill's brilliant Celtic team, three one at uh, Celtic Park, and yeah. so with young players, because trying to let them just play and express themselves, um, it, it, it worked out all right for me. I moved on after after you know two and a half, three brilliant years at Hibs, and we went and went to to West Brom, and eventually got to the Premier League, which was um, you know amazing. Absolutely, yeah. Amazing, amazing journey. I mean, listen, there's a few times that I'm really not in my head. I am a very poor, or have been a very poor man to Tony Mowbray in terms of my footballing journey. And, and very similar to you, I converted from a, 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 you know, someone who scored loads of goals, ran past everyone to being sent off when I was 13, 14, 15, something like that. And, um, and I, 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 one of the questions I was going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a bit later, let's do it now. How did you feel about that? I mean, when you when you reflect on your playing career, because I can tell you now that the higher I went in the game, the less football I played, and the less football the managers that I played for wanted me to play because they knew that football was well, and they knew, you know, going that really, going to be physical, you know, dominate that area of the pitch, be cut out, be the super, be that old school centre half, you get one of the three, put it in the channel, turn it around, turn it around. I thought about it a lot in my football management career and I 
I try and demand that they don't just let it kick it. Because I think, I'm using myself as an example, anybody who gets to the professional ranks, the professional limit of a, can be around the first team of a football club, at some stage in their life, they were the best player in their school. They were the best player in their town. They were the best player maybe in their county. Because the, the people who make it in professional football is, you know, minuscule percentage-wise. And I think, like you said there, you get it knocked out of you. I had it knocked out of me. And, and I was determined as a football manager never to knock it out of any footballer I ever managed. Because I know that the fact that they got to professional level that I'm managing them, they, I know they can pass it. I know they can drop the ball into the centre forward. I know they can use the inside and outside of their foot. And I've just had to give them the confidence and belief. Don't be silly. Don't try and play like Pep Guardiola if they can't do it and go to the avenues. But I know they could all do the basics. And some of the great teams play with basics. You know, you spread your team out wide enough that you are effective and efficient at passing and controlling. You can damage any team. Um, yeah. They have to understand the transition of when somebody has a bad touch or the pitch isn't good that day or somebody loses a bit of concentration and they have to contract back into shape and organisation very, very quickly. But I've always tried to let them expand and express their talent because I know that the centre-halves were probably the best players at their school. And so give them a bit of confidence and belief again or try to pull it back into them and, um, and allow them to play. And, and, and I, so that, there's no, there's no magic formula. You can't, um, I can't sit here and say, oh, I've been a manager for 18, 19 years now, um, because I'm good at this or good at that. Ultimately, you have to gather a group of players, you have to give them confidence, you have to give them belief, you have to see where the weak stand, try and strengthen it. Yes, some players have to leave and some players have to come. But um, basically, you are always trying to, you know, be true to yourself how you want to play and I, I really always want to play with the ball and yet even as the last few years of Blackburn I found it difficult to think we can't take Bournemouth on or we can't take in the football match so let's not try let's I, we talk a lot about I take a little bit of, I say a little bit a fair bit out of watching Liverpool I watched Liverpool we played Liverpool twice in pre-season over the last four or five years and just to see them right close up, playing at Anfield, um, or even uh, one, one in each. And um, you don't have to just chase around and run, you have to cut passing lines off. You have to deny the line of passing that the opposition work on. And so we spend a lot of time almost not copying, but working and putting into the mind of it isn't about running hard and chasing and closing down all the time. You have to do it cleverly. You have to know. So on a Friday when we're doing shape, the other team are probably doing shape and the manager's probably getting a play short to the centre half. The fullback drops deep. Give it to him. His passing up to Johnny as he first took forward. Uh, midfield coming short inside. Rolling so he can flip it on the corner. Or give it to you with it. So if your team are working on cutting off them passing options that that guy gets. And so yeah. as soon as he gets it, looks up. The options he had on a Friday morning in training are no longer there because you've cut them lines off. Is he a good enough footballer to make a better decision or start again or dribble with it? What does he do with it? Now he can't do what he's practised. And yeah. that's how we work. And we had huge success taking it off teams. And and then ultimately you've got to be able to pick the right pass yourself. You've got to pick the quality of the crossing to the box or the centre forward could score, you know. And, um, 
I, I understand when you play against the best teams, don't just think you can go and check them out because invariably they will beat you. Um, but you can stop them, you can deny them space, you can make life difficult for them. Yeah. Um, and you have to pick the weeks when you think you're going to be the better team and work hard on your own possession and movement. And the weeks that you feel the other team have got some really high quality players, you have to deny them space, you've got to stop the passing lines into their quality. And um, it's, you know, I think players, modern day footballers want to be coached. They want to know the game plan, they want to know how are we going to win this game, Gaffer. And you have to give them a game plan every every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They have to be ready. They have to take it on the pitch. And then if you've got players that I felt like I was could take game plans on the pitches, you have to have two, three, four. You know, the great teams probably have six, seven, eight of them, and they demand of each other that they do the job. Because the centre half knows that the right winner. Why on earth is he allowing that ball to go there when he knows we did it yesterday? Cut that line off deny him space, close him down, make him make a decision quicker than he wants to. The midfielder steps into the space because he goes a tight little one to his midfielder, you're all over him, you nick the ball, you give it your strike and it's in their net. Whereas the other, some teams are working on right 10 passes and we can score a goal off this cutback. When you play against like Liverpool play, you never get out of your box, never mind get round their box. <laughs> But 
if you do a lot of work on denying them the, the spaces and understand their patterns, so if the ball goes to their left centre half and the left back comes down the line to give him an, an angle and you close that off, invariably he's going to pass it forward, he's going to deny that. Now who comes to the ball? Does their eight come really deep? And if their yep. eight comes really deep, who's picking him up? Is yep. your midfield player ready for him? If your midfielder goes in, how far is your, your centre-half, whether it be a three or four, how far is he going in with the centre-forward who comes in as well? Um, you have to go through all of that work. But I, I, we do a lot of that work on trying to stop the opposition building. If the opposition aren't doing that to us, or they're not very good at it, or you can assess through watching their games that they don't focus on their out-of-possession closing pressing, we, we build, we give it to our centre-half, we look at the different angles, he has to decide, simplistically, I would like him generally just to give it to his left full-back. Because yeah. if they don't come down the line with our full-back, I believe the full-back should be the best distributors in, in the team. Um, okay. So give it to your full-back. If they're pressing the full-back down, you're either going back to the ball, exploring the other side of the pitch. If they're now, you feel they're pressing here, we play off the foot. We yeah. push up. We almost, you know, if, and if we win it and secure it, great. If we don't, we, we, um, we're all compact, we're up the team, we're up the team. I don't play at all costs like some people do. Yeah. And as I've said, I fully understand the bravery aspect. I, I'm trying to give, you know, Graham Potter probably did it at Swansea, and now he's doing an amazing job at Brighton. And I have to say, he doesn't go on and become a, you know, an England manager or something, you know, from the reputation he's getting himself through that really brave, overly brave at times playing football um i decided in my career i ain't going to be overly brave i can i i, I say i understand really all the patterns of who comes down how you overload in the defensive areas to get more men around and then have to take real care you have to use your goalkeeper and suck people towards him play around them yeah. I, I understand it all and you, you do have to have the players and as i've said i try and empower my defenders to, to believe that they can do the basics really well. And I think John Terry's a very good example. I think whatever I think Virgil van Dijk's a good example of somebody who's simplistic to be honest. The number yeah. of times he passes it to his other centre half or back to the goalie or just gives it to Robbo yeah. or every now and then he gets a seventy yard diagonal to Salah on the you know diagonal. It's um but you don't see him really playing clever little one twos anywhere. He's he's no, no. a low risk effective central defender. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, no that, that makes sense. And, and to me, to get a tune out of Van Dyke, the only witness I see, I think he's possibly the best defender yeah. you'd be able to see. Yeah. I mean, literally, that's how I write that oh, line. Yeah. The only thing I see is just a guy who wants an agreement, switches off psychologically, gets involved in a, a little bit of you know, this with the referee or an opponent or whatever, and maybe just for 30 seconds he switches off. And the Premier League, that's what the off, that's all you're going to do to switch it, you know, to yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so, so keeping it simple for a player with his gifts, his speed, his ability in the air, his ability to strike the ball both feet. But he has, the ability to, he has the ability to take it on the pitch. If that's the message from the manager, yeah. simplistic, and a high passing percentage ratio of success. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, if that means going across to your mate on the other side because they're bringing more bodies over here, then that's fine. Do that. If that means going back to Alisson in goal, to secure it, to drag the team on, to sometimes hit a big 70-yard diagonal over the top of Salah who might know it's coming. Yeah. I think all of them things are okay, but you do have to make sure your ego is is 
understanding of the team is the important thing. And because he doesn't, I think he, he must be a, a, a really good human being from what I can see. Because I don't see a guy who's trying to show off ever. Mm -hmm. I think I see a guy who wants to win. And uh, and the simplistic nature of being a centre half means always in the right position, understanding the play really high line, body shape, always ready to run and sprint back if teams are just turning around. Yeah. He seems pretty focused, but and, and, and as you say, if there is a flaw, it, it potentially, I, I feel when I watch him, I potentially feel as if he gets a bit down on himself or the team if they make a bad pass or make a mistake and he doesn't react naturally quick enough. He just, you can sense that second is too of frustration in him. Yeah. But, um, yeah. 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 He's an amazing footballer. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Brilliant, love, love it, love, love the detail from the Okay, so I'm going to just, just switch it a little bit for a moment. Um, no, I, I, I'm, you're going to have to indulge my passion for non-league football because that's all I was ever going to play. Okay. And I, as a kid, our holidays consisted of, of coming across to see our family from the, from the North East. Um, and my dad would take me out in the car and take me to places like Crook Town on a, on a Wednesday afternoon, Tolo on a, on a Thursday afternoon, and we'd walk around and he'd show me every amateur cup final, look at the size of that stand, look at this, yeah. and, and he'd tell me these stories, and he'd, and he'd grown up in Broughton, and he, he used to talk about clubs like Whitby that I went to play at one many years and he, he just created this magic, this magic, and, and, and the magic for me was at Essen Park when I did eventually get to Broughton, yeah. because you know, one time's what I got to watch you on play. But for me, to, that he created the magic, not just for Ayrton Park, but in, the, in, you know, in these grounds that he, he told a story about yeah. um, from when he was a kid. Did, did you grow up in the North East because it's a special, special place in the North East, but he had a rivalry song with Newcastle Wolves or whatever. Yeah. It's a special place for football, just a little ways, just as yeah. and whatever. have you. But, but have you got any stories? Do you, can, can you, can you uh, identify with that? And do you remember, I know I said, Fubinian, Symphony, for example, in places like that? That made a difference to you in your life. I know you operate at a higher level, but I'm just yeah. I, I, as a kid, I, um, I, I told you, I was on, we, we grew up on a, a council estate in Red Car, and my dad went to the social club that was there, the Lake Social Club, and uh, he was in that team. So when I was seven, six, seven, eight, um, they used to wear white like Leeds United, and my mum yeah. used to be. So I, I got pictures of the, the washing line full of all them 12, 13, 14 white shirts and shorts and all them socks on our washing line because my mum was washing the kit for the club the, uh, and we used to be back in Broughton. I've been to Broughton so many times. They used to have a wooden changing room and the, the thing they um, used to come down and I used to sit inside. I don't know whether you ever remember that. So, it's, um, so I used to go watch the thing. This is um, the Lake Social Club going to Broughton on a Saturday morning probably and uh, I used to love going to Broughton because it was one of my favourite grounds because I could sit in the changing room and it was wooden and it wasn't a glass window, it was a wooden window that you could fold down. So I could just sit there, arms folded, watching the match from the wooden um, dressing room. Brilliant. Um, we used to go to Loftus, we used to go to Broughton um, and his, my dad's kit was like Real Madrid. <laughs> they didn't play like Real Madrid. <laughs> but, um, I grew up as a young kid watching non-league football, watching pub football really. Um, I've been to Willington this week, you mentioned Crook there, because I passed Crook to go to a place called Willington. And that's got a yeah, stand, yeah. it's got Willington AFC on it. And um, yeah. 
And I have pictures of, of lots of probably decent players playing on that pitch. You know, it's pre-season. The pitch, uh, my son was playing, my 17-year-old son was playing at Willington. I'd never been to Willington. It took me, what, 45 minutes to drive yeah. past Bishop Auckland, past Crook, to this place called Willington. And, um, but there was a crowd there, and there was people from that town. I, I'm assuming it was a picture of the Chester. Up in the northeast, yeah. and um, well, there's people who actually, like locals, who were there watching and shouting and cheering on their team. It was like amazing that it's still alive. This football underneath the footballer, but he'll never stop. I don't think, yeah, because lads, and we're all just lads. I was the lad who grew up in that council state and got fortunate, I suppose, that um, Buddha hit some financial difficulties and I managed to break into a team that you know, if. If Joey Boat, Willie Madden, John Craggs, Frank Sprague and Graham Sumness, Phil Bowes and all these players had kept going and, and the club didn't hit financial difficulties, young Tony Mowbray's and Gary Pallister's and Gary Parkinson's, Colin Cooper's might never got an opportunity. And, um, but that's an idea. I, I like watching it because I've got a 70-year-old son now. I don't think he's going to be a professional, but he does love football. He does, he does go play with his mates. He's playing in men's football. It gives me a chance to go watch them. And you know what I like? I like the big heavy guy who's 35, 36. He's got a brilliant voice. It's like almost a caricature, isn't it? The old experienced guy who's running the game from the back. He's got a big pop belly, but he's the best player. He's picking the best passes. He's putting everybody in the right position. My 70-year-old son's playing out there on the left wing. And he knows when to hit the balls over the top for his fast kid. Um, and he's shouting at everybody and you think, wow. And I, I enjoy watching it, mate. It's, um, and I know they're not brilliant. There's no Lionel Messi's out there, but there's some young kids who are trying, like Elta, to dribble and to beat people. But generally, yeah. the most influential people on the pitch in those games that I go and watch on Sunday are, um, are the guys in their 30s who've been doing it all their lives. And, and maybe like yourself, to the point they've got to a really good level, but never got the lucky break like I got that allowed us to, to, to step up and play in the, in the professional ranks so yeah yeah well I, I don't know it was all luck and I can tell you I think I've made 98% of what I had I don't I, I always tell people there's no way I'm good enough to be a like, I might have turned it on, but I wasn't good enough to stay there for very long so mm. no, that's, that's just how it was for me which is yeah. absolutely a level that I never dreamed of so it is about yeah. that yeah. I keep saying to my son I've three points and I say to them all you don't have to be the best player I was a million yeah. miles away from being the best player at Borough when I was a young kid. You know, I had huge doubts of whether I could play with this lot, you know, because you always think the guy who's got the tricks and the stepovers and the drag packs is the best player. And yet the reality is when you have to win on a Saturday yeah. afternoon, the manager wants character and drive and personality. And that's what he wants. Yeah. That's how I got an opportunity. And, and I don't, maybe it's your upbringing, your background, you know, from Redcar Steel Town, Middlesbrough Steel Town, my dad is Maybe it's in there that you, you I wanted to lead. I knew from a very, very early age in my life I wanted to manage. 22-year-old, Rioch came along and he inspired with tactics. Nobody ever talked. So I got to 22 and nobody had ever said anything about tactics in football. Nobody had ever mentioned about coming up to base and if the man comes with him, drop it over the top into the centre forward because there'd be a big space there. Nobody had ever said that until Rioch came in 85, 86. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's kind of lit a fire in here that's uh, yeah. yeah. go on and become a match. And I think, and I, think um, I could see it, I could feel it, I could see the benefits of, of 
moving people around and where the space was and it made it so much easier. You know, I, I say to the young centre house now that I manage sometimes, you know, you have to have a bit of everything. You have to have ice and you have to have fire. And you have to decide on any given day. The game will dictate to you. Because I was a footballer, especially later on in my career, that some days I just had to go to war. And I knew right from the kickoff it was coming. The elbows were coming, the ferocity was there. You had to stand up and be a man and you had to win tackles. You had to let people know you were there. Other days, I had to I had to have, have some ice and because I could stay with the ball, the striker would come and I'd pop it round the corner or I'd bounce it off Ali and bounce it at the Gary Hamilton and he'd give it back to me and I'd stick slaving it. And, but I would never do that in these fire days. No. I, you have to some days know what's needed and go to war. And other days we were going to dominate this team and so always be available deep and off, open your body up, keep the ball moving, some people towards you, pop it round them. Uh, that's how you have to be able to do both, I think, because you don't know until the game starts how it's going to go. And um, I think the very best players can do both. Yeah. They have to, when they have to show up and turn up on a match day, they have to do it. And other days they can just look silly. And, um, and that's, that's how I think footballers have to be in all positions on the pitch. You have to stand your ground and let people know that you're, you're there as a professional. And you do it for yourself and you do it for your supporters and your teammates. And that, so on, on, on player profiles and the way, are we producing the, the, the kind of footballers who can make decisions like you just said there? Yeah. You, 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 did a, you did an interview with Phil Talentine from the Gazette um, and talked about the dark arts. I mean, you've just referred to it a little bit on the fire days, and I, in my head, I've got. I think you made, did you make your debut against Newcastle? I did, yeah. Kevin Keegan, yeah. Dan up front. So, so I, I, I have in my head really whiteness. I remember my Panini sticker book from from years, and I remember Billy Whiteness. And, and I've, I've played against a few lads who people compared to whiteness, but I've, I've been told that, that, that there was no one, no one other than Billy Whiteness out there. How, I mean, I'll bet there's some stories you can tell about about him and plenty of yeah. But my, my, my question really comes from how do young players coming through deal with the mental battle that you need to win out there to go show how good they are to the folks? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think I try and guide my young, particularly young centre-half. So at Blackburn, you know, the, my, my most recent job, I, young, young players, young centre-halves particularly. Right? So I've got Scotty Ward. They finished one every game last season. They finished eighth, and, and I think I think he went the first thirteen games. We 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 never lost a game. That's got he won that day. But I sent him out for three years on the bounce, really, to go and learn learn the arts. Because on the early on when they got game time, Aidan Carter, another one who went to Portsmouth last year, and yeah. uh, it was at Burton the year before. I think particularly young centre-back, young defenders, central defenders have to learn these things that I'm talking about, fire and ice really. Um, you have to go and learn them because I remember putting them in at Sheffield Wednesday. They're good players, both of them, but like, we went to Sheffield Wednesday to play them against Bruce's team and we lost five goals. Why? They just couldn't handle the big set forward and knew he was called, the big six foot five, six foot yeah. seven set forward. They didn't have a clue how to deal with the physicality of a big, big huge set forward up front. They, and whatever you say to them, whatever you talk to them, they were trying like, they were actually doing the wrong thing. They were trying to fight this monster, this massive guy, and really they should be 
playing away from him, let him have a touch, nick in front of him, take it off his second touch, not his first touch. And yes, yeah. they have to learn them things, I think. Don't let centre forwards run across you all the time into areas. They have to run into your arm, they have to run into your shoulder. Yeah. You have to then go red cross and don't run barging in. You have to play clever, you have to learn the dark arts of football. Otherwise, you might be all right on the ball, you might be fast, you might do this, and yet. You can't let strikers run where they want to run. You can't let people do on the pitch what they want to do. And you learn that. Um, that's why I generally my young centre-halves get sent out to learn it. Because however much I like them, they cost us goals. And it's yeah. the balance between developing your player and winning the match. Yeah, I mean, look, look, for me, that's what road, road spells are there for, right? Is to, to go out there. It's not to say you're going to set someone to make mistakes, but they, they are green, they are young, they are developing. You're going to make small mistakes as youngsters. Yeah. And, and they're probably going to play against the kind of players that are going to bring those, those mistakes out. Like, I mean, what, what you just said there reminds me of another Sheffield Wednesday game. I think Stephen um, Fletcher was playing up top, yeah. and a big lad, and, and, yeah. and Dale Fry. Who, all as Borough fans, absolutely love. He's, he's one of our own and all that. Yeah. But he, he's still a young developing defender, and he, and he, and he had an absolute—you know—he he, he had an afternoon to forget, and, yeah. and he learned so much from that afternoon. Now, the fact he did it at all at the Riverside, you know, yeah. but, but in, in the shirt that he loves, representing the people that he loves, yeah. must make it harder. Yeah. But at least he's had that experience, and then you know you go and watch him next time. He's learned, he's learned where to put his body, he's learned where to drop off, and just let him have the ball because they're not going to turn around and run it yet. And there's, there's, you know, those, those examples. Are, are, you know, when you're yeah. talking about the young players, I get that. I really get that because you can't, you can't get 15, 14 year olds on the training field and take and drill them on. Now you step across. Now, now you see nasty. Now you have a little bit of It doesn't happen then, does it? It's not like that. Correct. And I, I, it's all part of their development and all part of their growth, and that's why uh, I try not to be too harsh. And yet, you know, I remember that game at Sheffield, we lost five goals. Basic, simple crosses into the box that they just couldn't deal with the physicality of them. And uh, I knew that I couldn't keep playing them, but I would take them on a Monday, show them why are you letting. It might have been Fletcher that day as well as, you know, I had Steve as a 17 year old in Kibbs, and what a, what a talent he is. But, um, yeah. You can't let centre forwards run where they want. They have to run into your body. You have to block their pass. You yeah. have to learn how to take their ground. You, I've always said the biggest asset they've got is their body. Learn how to use it. Learn, and, and I'm never saying to anybody to foul people and drag them down. But you have to take people's space. You have to deny them opportunities to make runs. You have to take their ground so they can't move. Um, and young players don't understand that. They're a bit, as you say, green, a bit naive. They have to learn it as they go along, and I think that's why central defenders, um, in my opinion, as they get older, they get better. I genuinely feel I was probably at my peak in, in my 30s, even though, you know, the Borough in the early, in the middle 80s was, was a great period. I felt so much more in control in my late 30s at, at Ipswich Town, knowing what I was really as a central defender. And, um, yeah, but as I keep saying to, to, to young players, you want to have a growth mindset, want to watch. Don't be, it's okay that you're going to be, you, you can't stop every goal. You have to, you're a part of the unit, you have to, for me, the mindset is what 
go and see the coaches, go and talk to the gaffer, can we do some work on this? Gaffer, you already bought me after the game for letting my man do this. Can we, uh, how do I stop it? What are we going to do? Uh, keep wanting to get better, keep wanting to learn, keep wanting to know, keep asking questions. Coaches are very like players who ask questions because it's, yeah. it's showing them they care about the football team and they want to get better. But, um, I always encourage my players to, to, to ask and come and come and talk and then we can we can develop drills on a training pitch to help them. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So manager, coach or both? Well, I, I think it's um I think uh, for me I've I've changed throughout my managing career. I say two thousand four my first job, so you know, was that eighteen years in them first few jobs I was very much a coach and a manager. You have to talk to people and human beings, but I was trying to, I was on the grass a lot. I think the last few years I delegate coaching. I we have a lot of coaches meetings and we discuss how we're gonna play, what we're gonna do. But I, I let them coach. I, I had an experience at Ipswich um, when I finished playing in two thousand. I still had a year left on my contract, but I was I was a player coach and um, and I did the whole season of that Premier League, that first Premier League season. So my last ever game was the Wembley playoff final. Yeah. And then I didn't start. We were in the Premier League playing against, you know, top teams and I was 37. So um, I was coaching and um, and I think I think what happens is um, when I, when you're when you're the coach, you you, um, sorry, I've lost my track a little bit on that. But what I was going to play or coach, um, I loved them both. I, I, I can't. I, 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 now it's so long since I was a footballer. I, I, I just only pass on my thought patterns to young players and yeah. try and give them up. The, learn from my mistakes if you can before they make theirs. I think yeah. that's 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 the best way to do it. Try and pass on experience. I think every every coach, every manager has to be has to be a storyteller. I I try to inspire players. So that thing we talked about before about um, about fire in the belly, right? I do it by inspirational stories or things that happened in my life. Maybe even things away from football that make you fight back. Stand up. Don't cower away. Um, uh, that's management really to inspire footballers. The coaching, I think, is, is is like being a teacher, isn't it? I think. And as I got older, I tried to inspire more. I tried to um, get my team in the right mindset to play the football match. As a young coach, I I thought I could make every footballer better, make make players better, um, understand that if you're not fast. You have to do this. If you are fast, pull a bit wider, create more space, use the space, try and teach them, give them ideas. Yeah. I couldn't be out there kicking it anymore, so I couldn't do all that. I didn't know it, and I was never fast, but I knew what it was like to play against fast strikers and where I didn't want them to go. I wanted them to stand at the middle with their back to go, so I could get hold of them so the ref couldn't see it and have hold of their shirts yeah. and so they couldn't run. So I'm telling my fast strikers, just wider, I don't want to turn around because I want to go wide. Either get him to feet and take him on, or if he comes from over the top, you come without the ball. And, uh, yeah. and, and so you're only different things, managing, coaching. Um, I love it's, it. It's a, it's a difficult balance, right, isn't it? Because you're, you're like, you're at 38, you're, you're this big voice, 
this player with this huge presence, and you, you transition into being someone who I assume was probably tasked with taking some of the sort of lower level tactics sessions or lower level, yeah. you know, lower level sessions to start off with. Of course, you shape and you prep on the Thursday and Friday, I'm assuming the gapper would have done, done more of it. But you'd have been a totally different coach to start off with, right? He was also giving that advice to, to young players taking them to school. So the cycle, the cycle for me was straight after straight after finishing playing that 38-year-old, 39-year-old before I got my first job was yeah. really because George Burley was a coach, you know, George was very vocal, um, very at it, you know, he worked in the Bobby Robson and, and I was, you know, he's very Bobby Robson orientated, but brilliant stuff. Um, I was working with individual players really. I was taking the centre halves and saying, yeah. this or the fullback tucking on the balls over there and pushing there and finding yeah. space. And that's how I was working my very first job. I wasn't given a license, and this is why, as I got older, now I'm an experienced manager. I let my coaches coach because I would have liked to have coached more in the first year or two. I didn't really get to do sessions with the group because George was off by signing a player. George was there every day and it was only George's voice. Yeah. So I was putting the bibs out and making the balls from behind the goal, but I was also pulling the centre half of the train and saying, listen, let's go and do a bit of editing. Let's make this. I think the time is right. Have you thought about jumping off your other foot on this situation? And trying to give them the little tips that helped me. Uh, yeah. It wasn't until I became the manager at Hibs that I could go, my team, my tactics, this is what we're going to do. I took Mark Venus with me, who being a player in Ipswich with me. And yeah. uh, Venus was a very different human being to me, a very bright, sharp guy. He, he, he could see tactics, he would whisper in my ear, really, and I would go, you know what, I, I like that, and, I, and I'm going to work on it. And um, and I think we connected and worked, and it worked pretty well. But in the early years, I was coaching on the grass really. Um, yeah. My last few years, I I am always on the grass every day. I never not go on the grass, but I don't. It's not position now. To be my voice, I don't have to dictate the session. But if I don't like something or I want to emphasize something or compound yeah. or drive the message, over, I wouldn't have it now. If you're going to lose friends, talk to them about why we're doing this. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. So, I mean, I think it's changed a lot, hasn't it? You know, yeah. if you're a first team player now, transitioning into player coach because you've got that presence and that they've come to identify you as having that character, then you have to go through much more technical coaching capabilities, and and, and you have to demonstrate those. Maybe with the academy, you know, if you look at what Gerard, Gerard did, for example, at, at Liverpool. You know, you have to have that time on the grass, coaching body shape. Coaching some of the, you know, how to actually teach the technique with, with, with the places they're developing. So that when you go in there, you're ready. And I think back in but also what I saw with maybe player coaches who I worked with, who they, they, wouldn't, they, they, they wouldn't have a clue how to go and coach a 10 year old how to be a player. What they would do is go up and take a 19 year old who's really went the ideas and teach him how to get results and make impact in a game. On a Saturday afternoon, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's changed so much, hasn't it? Sorry, I find really interesting is my the balance for me as a human being, as a coach and a manager, is when you so I, I, it's not a part of my managerial career. I go into a lot, but the the ability to 
being a development coach, a development manager. You know, I, I think my last job, we've got a lot of young players through at Blackburn yeah. Rovers who, who are potentially Premier League players and can be in the Premier League. Um, as opposed to like managing Celtic for a year, but no one's interested in developing them. But they just want to win. They have yeah. to be. They have to beat the team on the other side of the city. And you, as the gaffer, have to win. Otherwise, you're out. And it's. And I found that it, it wasn't didn't suit my person. I found it really difficult because I wanted to coach a style, coach a develop young players. And yet, if we drew one all with Aberdeen and Rangers won three 0 it was disastrous yeah. and um, I found that really difficult to and it's not an excuse in my mind it's reality I've come I've, I've relaxed my mind around that period of my life of where I don't think that intensity that desire and desperation to win suits who I am what I am as a coach I feel like like I've done at Blackburn really you I, I better at developing growing educating, teaching, that, that's how I feel my management situation is and my career. And, you know, so I'm not sitting at the pinnacle of the Premier League um, or earning you know, 10, 20 million pounds a year. I contend making Scotty Wharton or John Buckley or Lewis Travis, you know, better players, Ryan Nyambi, Darrell Lenahan, making them better players, Joe Rothwell. Um, and, and, and enjoy seeing them signing for other clubs and play that. You know, Lenhan and Middlesbrough next year, let's see how he does. He, he was fantastic for me at Blackburn last year. Yeah. Rothwell's got to the Premier League with Bournemouth. Uh, there's talk of Nyambi maybe signing for Middlesbrough as well. It's, um, I, these are all young boys when I got there five years ago, and, uh, or I signed the likes of Rothwell. But, um, but I think it, I, that's more comfortable, sits in my belly more. And yet, yes, I would love to be in the Premier League trying to do the same thing and earning the tens of millions of pounds, but it, it suits me as a human being better to, to make a connection with these guys, sort of show them what it means to be a footballer, the, the sacrifices you have to make, and um, and I hope they, they feel as if we've played a part in and hopefully their progression in their careers. Well, that's, that's the best way to win, right, isn't it? To develop players, develop units, develop teams. It's the best way to win. It's, if you've got a ready-made, you know, ready-cooked meal there and it's, and it's yeah. all and it's just a steering job it, 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 to me it, it's and also for me you, you know you're, you're a really humble fellow uh, for, for the achievement like, you have to have a big ego to go in there and have an unlimited budget speak to the press speak, yeah. to, speak to the players you know the, the Mourinho kind of you know yeah, yeah. I think I think Man United's a pretty good example at the moment Ed Ten Hag I think is a development coach it's going to yeah. be interesting to see whether he has the time, whether he gets the time. Yeah. There is a demand at that club to win, to an acceptable. There's so many amazing Man United players in historical successful teams who will tell him what he's doing wrong if they aren't winning. And um, what he, that is. Well, and let's, let's see whether the club can withstand the pressure of they have to win something. Or will if he's there for five, six years, Will he have an amazing team in five or six years because he's grown them together and they all understand like how I act play? And you know, it, it's going to be really interesting. And, and I think it's an interesting decision. I just hope that Manchester United, and I'm not a Manchester United fan, but I, I, I love great clubs, great football. I, you know, I don't dislike any football team. Um, I hope he's given the opportunity to grow them 
but it's a really difficult scenario because Man City and Liverpool are going to keep. Yeah, it's 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 you know the, the pressures that commerce and business and money bring to football now at that level mean that you know that there will never be another period like Ferguson enjoyed. Which is kind of well, they'll be able to skip. They're, you know, they're a global business, and you know, a period of time of, of, of uncertainty and share price dropping and all these factors. So we're not selling as many shirts. It's not just football now, is it? At that level, and it'll, it leaves me cold if I'm honest. I'm not a United like fan. I'm a Borough fan, and I'm glad I am because yeah. we're a little bit more modest in our aspirations. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it does. I mean, you know, I, I wish you more of the best, to be honest, because you almost feel a bit sorry for them in some respects the way they get, you know, the way that the, yeah. you know, the supporters have probably had the feel of, of you know, yeah. uh, I, I could get started on that in a moment. I've got two or three more questions left. Um, what impact has, has being a parent had on you as a manager in terms of how you deal with players? I mean, how do you get on a level? With kids in this day and age, because my son is rustling around in the kitchen now. I I feel like I've got the right moral compass and the right experience in life to guide him, to give him, give him the little bits he needs. But sometimes he tells me things and makes me realise how realise how little I know about my life. Yeah. So that, that, at this moment in my so as we talk in here tonight, you you're aware that you know I left Blackbird over after five and a bit years, and, and uh, so and, and I did quote that I'd, I'd lived away from home for five and a half years. It's um, my kids were, were five and a half years younger, so Lucas, Lucas was twelve, and, and Max was ten, and, and Ollie was seven or eight when uh, when I went to Blackburn. And literally yeah. for five and a bit years, I've been home for maybe two days out of seven every every week for five and a half years and so I genuinely feel as I've missed them some pretty crucial parts of their life growing up I haven't influenced them enough and I found over the last maybe six weeks I've been home that there's certain things that I want to change about how they behave and how they talk yeah. um, I think it, it, it's not a regret and, and my wife doesn't mourn because she knows how much football means to me and it, it, it's the it's the, the payoff isn't it really it's, it's, it's it, 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 goes, it goes on the territory you know what everything you've achieved in the game has come really to what to them in yeah. so many different ways it's just that part of life you've not been able you know you've not had, had the ability to like, like a lot of yeah, I feel I feel as if I, I need to be a better dad. I said, you know, I, I, and I don't mean to make startling sweeping statements, but I know I'd said on to our local media back then, I'm going to go home and be a better husband and be a better dad, because uh, I felt as if I've let them down a little bit by not being here. But it is the payoff. You're right. My wife understands, but I, whether my kids did, and I and I genuinely feel as if I, they could, they've all got the physical attributes to be footballers. They are all. They, I, I've got a fortune of travel up the garden here where there's three goals I'm looking at now in the, in the back garden that they play football in. I genuinely feel if I just spent time at home and been with them, they would have a much, much, much better chance to be footballers. Um, yeah. Because I would have been there driving yeah. um, I, I think there's a little bit of me, I feel as if I've let them down. Um, and yet, I hope not, because I've also provided for them as well. and, 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 and help to give them the life and the education that they've got but um well the flip side the flip side to that by the way Tony is in my career I've travelled quite a lot for, for, for ten years I've worked from home and then travelled half the time. Yeah. I think I was a better husband and father because I was away. Because when I get back I valued that less time. Yeah. If I'd been there seven days a week 
it's human nature, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. I wouldn't have been at times as good a father as maybe I was when I wasn't there, if you see yeah. what I mean. That's yeah. the way I spin it, try and justify it to myself. Yeah. 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 I think, listen, we all have to expose our vulnerabilities and my vulnerability is listening to you there. I think it's good advice. You, you hope that the quality time that you do spend at home is, is um, well recognised. And and, um, and I hope that the, the little nuggets that you drop in with your kids over the years have stuck. And, and, and I'm sure they're watching and because they all have their phones. I'm sure they... Uh, what I do know is they don't like the criticism that comes their dad's way if the team loses and stuff yeah. like that, you see. But that's part and parcel of life. They have to deal with that. And it, it'll, it'll build them to be the person and make them strong, I think, as, as they get older and their own um, journey well, that they choose to do. Teaching resilience for kids these days has got to be right up there as the things that are missing. Uh, you know, one of the things that we, need, we all need to do because life can be so comfortable for kids these days and, and yeah. uh, you know exposing them to difficult moments and a bit of heartache and a bit of pain yeah. i think that's a lot better than having them wrapped up in cotton wool and never experiencing it until it's it become yeah. a real issue yeah good well yeah. i hope so because they've, they've, they've had a little bit of that as well but um but yeah I, I strive to be a father you know what i i i find in life and i say that nobody teaches it nobody teaches you how to be a dad eh? You, you, and, and nobody teaches you how to how to be a dad to a five-year-old and then a ten-year-old or a, now a seventeen-year-old who's actually a man and can answer you back and has got things that he wants and demands and uh, and then but you have to draw the line and set the standards and have the values that your family has to follow. And, uh, yeah. But, but nobody teaches you that. It's not in a book that you can read. Then you're going to be an ideal dad. You are. You know, you are, you are what you are and you react to situations as you do. It's the toughest job in the world and the best job in the world. Right, so last, last question from me, and I'm really interested in your opinion on this. Yeah. Where do you see England's chances of good success, not just in the World Cup, but in terms of where do you see England in world football now? Because I think things have changed an awful lot in the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. You, you know what I find really interesting? I think, um, so, you know, interested in know your opinion. Is this group of players who've just um, got to a Euros final and got to a World Cup semi-final in the last two tournaments, aren't they as talented individually as Gerrard and Lampard and Owen and Beckham? You know, they, they're probably not as individually talented as, as the golden era of English football. And yet, um, I... I whether this is I, I think about this a lot really. This does Guardiola come into English football as it starts with the coaching thought patterns and mentalities and and thoughts of the nation and, and of, so Gareth at the moment would Gareth be the coach as he was at Middlesbrough and was doing okay but lost his job without the influence of Guardiola in the box? You know, Klopp bringing huge pressing out possession on the front foot type of football and why do you build in um, celebrity thinking, thinking uh, thoughtful positional football and I think Gareth, uh, I do know Gareth, he's, he obviously was a, was a Borough player and uh, and I've met him a few times, you know, he's a very, very thoughtful guy, I'm pretty sure his influence would be around that coach, he might not see it publicly because he's, he's in the same domain but I do think I look at the England team of today and I see 
really good pressing. I see really good positional play. I see good individuals. Um, I think the demands have been in England. They've always been huge in any generation. It's been a weight on the team's shoulders for decades, I think, of the expectation. And yet, the last two competitions, the team have gone pretty close. Um, how are they going to do? It's going to be interesting because it's mid-season and it's not the end of the season. And there's no excuse to say it's a tired England-looking team that just played 70 games, some of them. I do feel we know that. We need like some Rashford to come back again, you know, to, to find some form to, you know, can can I get get him firing again? Um, no, Harry Kane is looking good. You know, he needs to stay fit. I think um, oh, Jack. I think there's so many talented players: Greenish, Ford, and you know, as I said, Kane, Rashford, Sancho. It's, uh, it's an amazing group of people. But I, I'm still wondering in the class of Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard or Wayne Rooney. So my take, my take on it, boy, worth a big way to listen to the top of me. That golden generation had a core of players that are better, in my opinion, 10% better than our best players now. You'd have Gerard, Lampard, you'd have what unbelievable footballers in comparison to the last couple of best that he was ever had. Defenses, they they play like the 
top Premier League teams. I think just having they, at this moment they don't have the same speed and mobility and, and, and probably to, to do it. But uh, I see really well coached football teams. Um, England with under Southgate. It's going to take a really good team to beat them, I think. You know, but it is knockout competitions. Knockout competitions, as we found against Croatia and Russia in the semi-final, you can you can have a bad forty-five minutes and you're out. And it, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been a massive advocate of Southgate. I'm a huge admirer of him. You know, I was at the Millennium Stadium when we won the Carlton Cup, and yeah. you know, and I've, I've got images of him. Like I've got images of you, bloodstained battling on the border and, and it's really difficult for me to, to say anything bad about a guy yeah. in that situation. But what I will say is he's got to learn and the England coaching staff have got to learn from the mistakes we've made when we've got so close. Why didn't we get over the line? Yeah. What did they not put their pedal did they put the foot down on the pedal when they should have done? And did and did they control the moments that they could have controlled but, or can they control the moments that they control? I think that's always the test of any great coach. Listen, and, and let's talk about now I talk again about the vulnerabilities of it and you have to be, you know, leave your ego at the door scenario. Yeah. I, I think myself oh, there are better coaches than me out there. They are better people who can change a game to make it to, to help the team win a game. They're better people who've got sharper brains, I, I get it all. And it depends what you are, I think you have to be true to yourself. I'm an emotional coach who wants to connect with his players and they want to run through brick walls for me to try and win football matches. And I try and give them the tactics that I think can win. I think the genius coaches see the game and can change. I, I feel that, and I'm, and I'm a bit wary of saying it because who am I? But you know, I didn't like us playing the back three against Croatia, for instance, in that semi final because the best teams know how to ex expose you in the wide areas. The wide areas yeah. Why did we do that? We didn't need to do it. I don't because I knew that they were going to switch it, they were going to switch it, they were going to switch it, their full backs were going to join and they were going to get overloaded, they were going to put balls in the box. Why we did that, I'm not sure, and, and it's not for me to tell Gareth because they had a lot of success playing back three. Yeah, maybe it's the time to change it as you get deeper into the competition. Yeah, and you, and you know yourself, there might have been a reason why you might have had a plan to play for and something changed the day before. Yeah. You'll never know, and, and just yeah. like you know, people have questioned your decisions over the years at whatever club you've been at, and you'll never know the truth of what it was. So, and that's what happened. Yeah. As a football manager, that, that's what you live every week, you know, every day, because you do hear the people on the radio saying, why did they do this, why did they do that, they didn't do this, but you do see the, the, the follow-up newspaper articles, and people don't know, you have these thoughts, and you sit, I sit in my office on my own sometimes on a Friday, looking at my board, my team up, thinking, that is brave to play like that, because I know the opposition are good in these areas, and it's yeah. going to be, who comes out on top? Are we going to be able to get over that ball and hurt them, their formation? Because we're going to have an extra man in midfield and so we've got to work it quick around there. Or are we going to get hurt in the wide areas because that guy's really fast and the more we're not giving support to the fullback because of the formation we played. And so you know the, the strengths of the opposition against your weaknesses, but you know your strengths against this. And you toss the coin sometimes to see whether you come out on top. And the days you get beat, you generally know as a manager why it didn't quite work because you'd already thought that through but you were trying and hoping that your team were going to benefit through this little this one player was going to make the difference and he didn't on the day yeah yeah, yeah. so many moving parts so many yeah, things perfect yeah come right it's yeah. fine margin you're operating at such a high level of world football you know championship for example i mean 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jersey boy, and that's where I grew up, you know, and, and Alex Scott is, is doing something unbelievable yeah. with his career at the moment. He's got so much more hard work to do, but what, what that kid's doing at the moment yeah. is unbelievable. But the, the margins are so fine, and he's, and he's got himself to a level where you see him do things quickly that make you think he can keep going up through the levels. But I, 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 I'm not for one minute thinking just because he's played 40 on championship games that his career is made. He has still got so much more to do, and those fine margins between you being a success as a footballer, as a manager, then you know, there's so many things that can affect you. The championship is so hard because of the diversity of the teams that you play with so little time to prepare. If you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, it's really difficult to get your team to recover to energise themselves for the next game but within one training session and a couple of video sessions you've got to solve that game plan for the next game against a totally different team who'll play totally different from the one you've just played and the one that's coming after that it's like you have to be ready for a different a different sport almost sometimes if you're playing I don't know a really direct team on a Saturday and then Tuesday night you've got to travel and you're playing swans, you have 15 passes in their own box before they get out of the boxes. Yeah. The game prep is so different, it's amazing, and, and the players have to be very, very adaptable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, Tony, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, we could have gone on for a long time. I've said that on a few of these, and I absolutely knew it was going to be the case on this one. Um, I just, you know, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, um, to reiterate, you know, I think the way you've gone about your football career and life in general is something that um, is a great example to, to so many people. And, and you know, the, the people of the brother obviously see, you know, that they see you as an icon and a leader still. Um, and, and for myself and my family, I know my dad would be watching this and, and we'll think back to times when we watch you from the terraces. What an amazing thing it's been just for me to share some time talking football with you. Um, so thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. And um, yeah, listen, all, all the best. I don't know what, what what's next for you, um, other than probably get back in the car and ferrying the kids around again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And it's been an absolute pleasure and a, a real privilege. So thank you very much indeed. I um, I enjoy talking football. It's um, typically I haven't been involved in for a few weeks now. It's um, but good memories. Um, but it was an amazing time in my life. There's the fact that I think great teams. We were a great team, but we were we created a a, um, a togetherness that lasted today. I've been making a wedding video for Bernie Slaven today on my on my lawn out here because he's getting married in Portugal in, in a couple of weeks. And uh, and as I said, I see Pally every Wednesday. It's, um, yeah, you, you you have a, a real close affinity with all of those likes in that team of the middle eighties and there's for that team that's been all fair bits and uh, and I think that I think the town connected with that group of group of lads out of the out of the adversity of the of the financial difficulties that um, the the club of the town was reborn really and uh, I think it's Yeah. No, well I I, I was and I, I know every part of fans says that they were on the heartful. And luckily enough, we were on holiday at the time, we were just fortunate that we were there. Um, but that team, you know, I think anyone who's a Borough fan, anyone's from Teesside, will we all feel like you're partly our property. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. team, because, yeah, yeah, you know, like we all feel invested in it. We all feel like that was, if you lived through that time, 
Thanks so much again. All the best, pal. Good luck. Cheers, mate. God bless. Bye-bye.